You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are your hosts, Evie McLeod and Lindsay Roman. Thank you for tuning into another episode of our show. Hit that subscribe button and don't go anywhere because today's guest, who is about to blow your mind, this conversation, just, oh my word, oh my word. We talk a lot on the show about marketing and business, particularly coming from our experience with personal branding and running a business with your face attached to it. But I think a lot of you can relate to the fact that when your business requires you to get out of your bed, show up and physically make your business profitable, well, it can, it can be like so exhausting. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> However, there is a world of business types out there and not every company has to operate that way. In fact, it's actually wise to have multiple types of income, which is what we're chatting about today with our dear friend, Zim Flores. Zim Flores is a believer, traveler, speaker, and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Travel Noir, CEO of Italicis, and host of The Bloom Podcast. With a vision almost as grand as the world we live in, Zim is committed to inspiring today's generation to live out their kingdom purpose. Now, today we talked about the eight eight different types of income streams that most millionaires have, what each look like, and where you should start in your own journey if you want to begin expanding your own revenue streams. Zim breaks down what passive income can look like, business model ideas for you to chew on, as well as a good chat about the pros and cons of having a personal brand with your face attached to it, and how to begin thinking about building income streams without a personal brand at all. I'm not kidding. It's good. It's lit. If you go anywhere, don't. Uh, just don't. <laughs> this episode is literally packed. And I just, I can't believe that this is only a fraction, a little dip in the pool uh, of what Zim is going to be sharing at the Heart Conference in Nashville in a couple weeks. So if you didn't know, she's our speaker or she's one of our speakers, is going to be a party. So if you're ready to hear more after this episode and just get a full deep dive into revenue streams and passive income and buying businesses, all that good stuff, it is not too late to snag a ticket and get your booty in the room in Nashville. The link will be in the show notes and we want to see you in the room. All right, that's all for my intro. Let's get started with the show and talk about passive income. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Zim, welcome back to the podcast, friend. This is fun to have you on again. I'm so excited to be back. Thanks for having me. Of uh, course. Well, for well, anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> were we going to say the same thing, Lindsay? No, I was just going to say, since the last interview, we've actually met you in person. Oh, that's yes. we'll meet you in a few weeks in Nashville again. So we're just like, it was just like besties now. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. I love it. Well, since your first interview, that was episode 131. Um, and we talked a lot about identity and worth. And this is just so fun both to actually like be friends with you and have texts and phone calls and meet in freaking Mexico when we're in the same spot. Like what are the odds? Anyways, I know, all of that. I know. <laughs> so fun. And you are also one of our conference speakers, which we are so excited about. Anyways, all of that to say for anyone who hasn't uh, been familiar with you already <laughs> or listened to your first episode on the show, do you want to like tell us a little bit of your story and a little bit about yourself? 
Yes. So there is a much longer version of who I am in that previous interview, but I will spare you all the details. Um, (laughs) I was uh, born and raised in Minnesota. I am a first generation American. My family is from Nigeria and I have always had a heart for entrepreneurship and exploration. And it is something that I believe God has uniquely gifted me with. So when I was in college, when I was 19, um, I cloned a gene, which back then didn't seem like the biggest deal. But I realized that whenever I tell people, it is... um, it is very surprising. And so I got to travel around the country and talk about my research. Uh, I'm a biologist by trade, but I do not do anything with that right now. (laughs) Um, Nothing at all. Uh, Right after I graduated college, I sold everything that I owned and I moved to India. So I was living there, learning the language, working. um, And it was a beautiful experience. Out of that, I went and visited about 90% of Asia, um, spent all my money, landed back in California where my mom was broke. I didn't have any, maybe I had a few hundred dollars to my name. And I ended up taking a Greyhound bus to San Francisco, not having a job, only with the promise of somebody's couch that I could sleep on Mm -hmm. um, and ended up working um, a few different jobs to make ends meet. And when I landed my first kind of full-time job, I uh, started my first company, Travel Noir, which is, uh, it's a travel company focused on travelers of the African diaspora. And so we did a lot of work there, um, ended up selling it in 2017 because it was something that I felt very strongly that the Lord was asking me to do. Uh, So I sold this business. Um, It was a successful business. And I essentially felt like I started from the bottom again. And so there was a season where I had to um, lean into God and, and allow him to 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 restore me honestly mm-hmm. um to remind me of who I who I am who I mm-hmm. am in God and just because I don't have this company doesn't mean that I am of any less worth to him and so that was a season that taught me a lot there was a book that came out of it called Dare to Bloom um trusting God through painful endings and new beginnings and um I'm so grateful that that book has helped so many people. And so now my husband and I, we build and buy uh, online businesses. And so we teach entrepreneurs how to do the same. I'm really big on multiple streams of income and passive income. And so, um, so yeah, so that's a little bit of my story. I think it's a little different than the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. There you go. (laughs) Well, for anybody, I know we keep saying this, but for anybody that kind of like relates to what Zim just said about like feeling that, that, feeling of like your identity or worth is stuck in your accomplishments and like just her journey to give up that business. We hammered a lot on that in episode 131. Um, and so today's, well, go, go listen to that. If you're like, Oh, that sounds like a treat. Um, but today, uh, we're going to kind of jam on the very end tale of what, uh, Zim just said, which is passive income. So Zim, if you're cool and what? Multiple streams of income. Yes, all of that. So yes. if you are cool, let's just dive right on in into passive it. income. So to let's start out, it. can you share with our listeners what exactly passive income is and then like what different types people can have? Like just for the listener yeah. that's like, wait, I'm baby fresh to this. What are you talking about? 
So passive income is income that comes from multiple streams um, and it ends up reducing your working hour and it frees up your schedule. So there's lots of different types of um, passive income streams. Um, You have, I'll go back and I'll talk about the seven or so that Uh, or eight or so that most millionaires have, according to the IRS. It's earned income, profit income, interest income, royalty income, dividend income, rental income, capital gains, and residual income. So when you think about earned income, that's what most people depend on. It's the money that you make working at a job where you trade time for money. Profit income is where you're buying things and selling them for a profit. So anything that's like a middleman type of business. So if you know a manufacturer and you have access to people who want to buy this particular product, you act as a middle person, you price it higher than what your manufacturer is charging you, and then you keep the spread. So that's profit income. Um, Interest income is what you earn by lending your money. So on a small, 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 small scale, think of your savings account right? You get like Uh 0.005% every year or like whatever it is that's considered interest income. Right. Tiny, tiny. Uh, Royalty income is what you earn when you let somebody else use your creative um, property. So let's say that you have a program that you license out to organizations. That's royalty income. If anybody watches watches, uh, Shark Tank, you'll find that um, there are some sharks that build in royalties into the agreements when they invest into a company. AKA Mr. Wonderful. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) AKA Mr. Wonderful. (laughs) Um, Then you have dividend income and that's what you earn by owning dividend stocks. So if you invest in, say, a company like Apple um, that pays out a dividend, they pay out a a portion of their profits to shareholders so that you can enjoy passive income as that company grows. So that is a form of passive income. Uh, Rental income is pretty self-explanatory. If you have an Airbnb or a multifamily or a single family or any kind of real estate that you rent out, um, that is considered rental income. Capital gains is in its simplest terms, you earn capital gains income when something increases in value after you buy it. So anything like art, uh, vintage cars, stocks, the house you just purchased, that income that you earn, that spread is considered capital gains income. And then the last one is residual income, which is what a lot of people call passive income. It's what you earn after putting in all the work. So Mm -hmm. if you create a course or a program, you put in that work one time, and a lot of the work that you do after that, if you set up your systems right, um, does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. So you're not putting as much time and effort as you did in the very beginning as you would say a year down the road. So those are the eight different types of income streams. Some are more passive than others, but that's kind of a good kind of ground level to to start. I Zoom, love so Zoom just came on the show with it like not even 10 minutes in and you're like, let me just drop. That's not <laughs> the thing that I love about you is like so many people I think don't even realize. I think they think earned income is like the people don't realize that there's other types right beyond mm-hmm. that and then even like I like that you just said uh I'm gonna butcher this word because I can't talk residual is that what yeah, yeah good job Ooh, good job go me go snaps okay um I think most people think like okay earned income and then if they 
are aware of passive income. I think they're only thinking of that type, which is like, oh, I'm going right. to do a digital product or a course or something mm-hmm. like that. I love that you just broke down so many different types. And I think that opens up a world for entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. anybody on it. You don't even have to be an entrepreneur necessarily to, to invest in some of these things, but it's like, whoa, there are so many things out there for you to think about and to like right. navigate and to, and to start actually incorporating into your income stream to build wealth. I just, I am so excited for this conversation. Okay, great. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I also just want to say, Zim, you, that first, like that was so packed. We could just wrap up the episode right now and be like, that was everything you should note the, for the foundation. Like it was just so like, wow, good. Okay. No. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people don't, they think that, that multiple streams of income, like there's a lot of conversations that happen around multiple streams of income. And I, and I think that not a lot of people are talking about it. So when I hear a business owner, that's like, oh, I have, you know, my business as my stream of income. It's almost to me as risky as having a nine to five. If you just have that one stream, because during COVID, like if I had my previous travel company, we would have been in a world of danger because we only did travel. That was the only yeah. thing that we did, you know? So um, I'm really grateful to be having this this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, okay. I want to ask for the listener who is on this episode and is like, okay, this is amazing. I don't want to be in a world of danger. I don't want to be relying on one stream of income. I really would love to not be just relying on earned income and trading my time for money and all of that. What would you say, Zim, of like when someone should look into pursuing passive income or multiple streams? Like, is there a certain time in their business that they are more ready? Or do you think it's something that everyone should be thinking about like when they first start out? I think that everybody should be thinking about it at least. Now, mm-hmm. when I... So a couple of weeks ago, I shared a story um, about how my husband and I, we stumbled across this random opportunity to like flip jars on Amazon and we made half a million dollars in a summer. And I remember telling that story and people were like, what? You were flipping jars? What does that <laughs> Wait, even what is, mean? What is flipping? Like, yeah, that's literally that? my question. So it's, it is, it's, it's the profit, that profit income thing that I talked about a little bit earlier. So mm-hmm. we bought jars, like just think of your standard run-of-the-mill jars. They were in, like, they were really hot during the time that we were selling them. And we bought them and we sold them at a higher price. And it all started because I had uh, ordered some jars off of Amazon and uh, they came in a Target box. And I'm like, well, why did it come in a Target box when I bought it from Amazon? And my husband was like, how much did you pay for these? And I was like, it's a pack of 12. I paid 30 bucks. He goes to the Target website and he's like, these same jars are $12. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, it saved me a trip. But my husband's like, what? What are you doing? (laughs) So essentially what happened was I placed the order on Amazon and that person took my address, my information, went to Target.com, found those jars, put my address my information in there, paid with their credit card, and then sent me the the package that I ordered. What? So they didn't even hold inventory? No, they didn't hold any inventory. So they made $18 every single time. So we were like, huh, oh my this gosh. is interesting. Let's try this. Well, 
So. I also think that there's people out there, like my husband is not one of these people, but he would go search every single, like if he found the jars on Amazon, he'd be like, nah, nah, let's go look at Target. Let's look at like Best mm-hmm. Buy. Jars are not at Best Buy. Whatever. <laughs> like he, he, would, he would look at all the places to be like, I'm going to get it from the cheapest place, but not everyone does that. Right. No, not, not at me. All. Oh. No, we, we lived across the street from a Target and I still didn't go. I still went on Amazon. <laughs> Like I, it's you know, so we we were like, okay, let's let's see what this could turn into, and it turned into a summer of traveling across state lines, buying jars, literally filling up our cars, getting a warehouse, having a where our warehouse guys ship out all of the orders as soon as we put these um, jars online, they sold instantly. So we sold thousands and thousands and thousands of these jars over this summer, and the reason that we were able to do that, and the point that I wanted to make here, because your question was, at what point should people be thinking about this? We had, for the most part, processed ourselves out of our other businesses. So we had the free time to dedicate to something new if a new opportunity came up. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah. once we got to a place where, okay, it was getting a little bit cumbersome, we can't be driving to Wisconsin or Indiana or whatever to pick up these jars, we hired somebody to do it. We hired a 3PL, which is a third-party logistics to handle the fulfillment and the shipping. And all we had to do was change the numbers on Amazon's back-end portal, and that's it. We no longer had to get up early to drive and do all these different things. So at every stage, when we think about our streams of income, once we understand the mechanics of what it is that we're doing, we process ourselves out of it. That's how you turn something into a passive stream. You process yourself out of it. So you set up systems where maybe technology can do what it is that you were doing before, or you hire somebody or you hire a team. And so that's how we were able to make that work and how it's how we were able to scale it. I think that's so important that you just mentioned understanding the logistics, because I think especially getting into a whole new business model I think it's so important. And I know Zim, you and I have had these conversations before, but it's very important for you to at least have an understanding of the operations and like the mechanics of your business before you're totally phased out. Because if something goes wrong, if, you know, that person that you hired to manage shipping and fulfillment or whatever, like steps out and you need to train somebody else or bring somebody else in and you're clueless in a situation like that, I feel like that's where things can get a little messy. So it's not like you have to be the expert or sit in it for years on end, but at least like recognizing that a new stream of income will require a little bit of time up front to become very familiar with it. I think that's huge that you just like mentioned that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's one, and there's, the one common misconception around passive income is that it it always starts out truly passive, right? But yeah. you have to be intentional about what it is that you want to be passive and what it is that you want to be more, a little bit more active, right? So for example, my husband and I own real estate. I will not, and I don't think I will ever, be one that manages those properties, right? I have aunts and I have family members that they want to keep their spread. So they want to keep the amount that they would be paying to a property manager and they will go out and fix a leaky toilet. They will mow the grass. They will do all of those things for me. 
I'm like, absolutely not. I can (laughs) use my time to do something a little bit different. So I don't mind paying for that. And that keeps me out of the process. It keeps me out of the operations and the logistics of that particular stream of income, right? Because all I'm doing is saying, okay, yeah, you can pay for this. Okay, we need a new this, yada, 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 this and the third. I don't need to be there you know, plunging a toilet at two in the morning or like, you know, whatever. I don't need to be doing that. And so I think that understanding from the get-go what type of income stream you want it to be is really important. And, you know, for the first, when I bought my first um, investment property, there was already a property management in, uh, manager in place. And so for me, I knew the value of a property manager right away. I did, I did not need to spend six months of my life regretting the fact that I didn't go with a property manager to know that they were valuable. So that was a decision that I decided to make up front. And so as you're thinking about developing these new streams of income, that's a question that you should ask yourself too. So good. Okay. So my question is for somebody listening to this, it's like, yep, I'm down. I've never started anything sort of passive at all, even if it's not passive at the beginning. What would you say to someone like that, I guess my question is what would be the easiest or best place to start? So I would actually, so if you're going from like one income stream to two income streams, I recommend starting some kind of arbitrage business. And so what what my husband and I did with those jars was an arbitrage business. It was something that you buy low and sell high. So for example, there are people that will buy these Lego sets off of eBay or something. And the next year they become more valuable. I don't know what it is about Lego sets. I don't Maybe it's like a thing. I don't know, but people will buy it, hold it for a year and sell it for a higher price. So little there, there are a ton of these like really interesting niche types of businesses that work really well for arbitrage, so buying low and selling high, um, that I would recommend starting with because it's something that you can do on the side. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't require um, your full, like a full-time schedule. So for somebody going from one to two income streams, that's what I would recommend. For somebody that's going from two income streams to three income streams, and when I say income streams, I'm talking about personal income streams to you. So I'm not talking about the multiple streams of revenue that you have within your one business. I'm talking about the income streams that point to you. So your business is one income stream. Mm -hmm. Then there is another income stream and then there's another income stream. So um, if you're going from two income streams, I'm sorry, from one to two, from two to three, I recommend um, starting an e-commerce business. So you can go about this a few different ways. You can actually start an e-commerce business or if you have some uh, extra cash uh, laying around, you can buy an existing, successful, profitable e-commerce business. And so it. I've had a friend that bought uh, an e-commerce business for, I think she paid maybe $3,000 for it and now it's doing $10,000 a month roughly. Mm, And so there, that one takes a little bit, depending on whether or not you start a business or buy a business will determine what your, um, upfront kind of like time investment will look like, but that's kind of what I recommend. Now, if you have, when you're thinking about multiple streams of income, you have two different, um, 
ways to build multiple streams. You either have a lot of time or you have a lot of money. That's it. You can't have, like, if you have a lot more time, you have to do things a different way. If you have a lot more money, you have, you know, some more options kind of at your disposal. So that's kind of what I would say for somebody who's like, you know, I'm just at one stream of income and I really want to start something, um, something new, but I'm not really sure which direction to go in. Calling all entrepreneurs. Are you ready for a biz boost in 2022? Tired of feeling alone or struggling to figure out this whole entrepreneur thing by yourself? Well, great, because we have your solution. We are hosting an in-person business conference in Nashville, Tennessee on April 25th through 28th, 2022. And this isn't your traditional boring corporate like conference either. I mean, do you even know Evie and I? <laughs> yes, the Heart Conference is a place for creative business owners and dreamers of all kinds to come together, experience community, learn business and marketing strategies that will help you grow and scale your business all while having the friggin' best time of your life. So get ready to be empowered in your business and life so you can go out and break down every barrier that is holding you back from achieving your goals. All right, and listen to our speaker lineup. Legit. All right, we have Jordan Lee Dooley, Paige Griffith of The Legal Page, Zim Flores, Angie Lee, as well as Lindsay and myself, and our keynote speaker, Donald Miller of Freaking Story Brand. Like, yes. Yeah. So basically, are you like ready to explode your business and build community in just three days? Because if so, it's time to learn some hardcore marketing and sales strategies that will grow your business beyond what you could ever imagine. Get paid to do what you love, speak to the heart of your ideal client, nip that feeling of loneliness in the bud, connect with a community of like-minded creative entrepreneur besties, receive over 12 hours of hardcore business education, dance your pants off at our heart dance party, and listen to seven industry leaders teach you everything they know. Yeah, it's a lot in just three days. Buzz gonna be good. <laughs> if you are ready to give your business a jumpstart in 2022 and lead in your business empowered, come join us at the Heart Conference. You can find out more at theheartuniversity.com forward slash conference. Hello, photographers. We have some life-changing news for you. So listen up. Do you feel like your life is being sucked away by editing these days? Like, raise your hand if 99% of what you do right now is stare at a computer screen manually editing hundreds, if not thousands of images at a time. Well, then listen up because this is about to literally change your life. Introducing Batch AI, a Lightroom plugin that uses artificial intelligence to batch edit at lightning speed. The tech reads your edit and bases its edits off of your style throughout your gallery, which is mind-blowing. All you have to do is edit a few sample edits from each different lighting scenario for the software to read, and then the program takes it from there and begins to match your ideal edits throughout the rest of your gallery. Basically, you train the program to edit just like you and save hours of your time. The founder and creator of Batch AI, Sean, has been our personal photo editor for over four years, and he is absolutely genius and thorough in everything he does, and this program is no exception. A couple of features that are just the coolest is that Batch AI smart crops and straightens your images, can replicate brush and gradient tools you use, as well as can smartly identify your black and white images, excluding them from editing in color. Like, what? <laughs> literally, ins- it's literally insane. So to test out Batch AI today, go to batch.ai and use code hearthustle for life using numerical four for 25% off your first purchase. That's hearthustle for life and the link and the code will be in the show notes. Oh, I you just gave so many good ideas. I love this so much. I want to get into some juicy tea right now because we... 
I think both teach on different things and I think there's value in both, but I love that we're like on two different sides of, of the camp here. So, I mean, you know this from us, Zim, but like we're big proponents of personal branding and using that to your advantage when like starting and building like, you know, photography business or whatever. But we also know that you're on the opposite camp of being like a big believer and proponent of building a business that does not require your face to be successful. So I don't know. Do you want to talk on that for a second? Like, like what made you even want to start focusing on revenue streams that didn't have your face attached to them? Yeah. Well, on the days where I don't feel like posting or showing up or doing anything, and I just want to be away from social media for six months or a year or, or whatever, I don't want to have my, the success of my income or revenue dependent upon how I choose to show up every day. Mm. Does that make sense? Like it's exhausting. Yeah. I don't, you know, I wanted to build something that didn't require my own face to be successful. I wanted something that could stand on its own merit, stand on its own two feet. And the reality is, is like, you know, cancel culture is real. You say one thing and people, Mm -hmm. people who know what you do will try and hit your pockets, but you can't hit what you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I was like, well, if I have 10 streams of income and you only know one, you can only hit that one thing. And so then I started teaching on that and I realized that a lot more people were in the same boat where they didn't want to have to rely on having to make a ton of reels to sell something or make a ton of posts to, um, you know, to sell whatever it was that they were selling. They could do it without having to show up every day. And so an example of that. So when I sold my travel business, I was the face of it. Right. I didn't really want to be, but I but I was the face of that particular business. And so when I sold it, I end up I ended up buying a um a brand new business. Well, it had been in business for about eight years, but it was we bought it in South Korea. The audience was Asian, the audience still is Asian, they don't look anything like me, they have no idea who I am, they just buy the products because they love the products and they stand by them. And the mm-hmm. fact that I'm able to market for that business and do all the things for that business that I would do in any other business and still, you know, I never have to show my face. Like for me, that mm-hmm. was, it was a game changer. It was a yeah. game changer for me. So yeah. I love this. Oh, I could jam on this for so long. Cause I think some of what I think makes well, first of all, I, th- I think a lot of people resonate with what you said. It is exhausting. Even people that do personal brands like me and Evie, like it is exhausting when sometimes you just don't feel like getting makeup on and, and, and it feels like you're almost like your effort is what gets you money, right? Like it's it's very effort aggressive, right. I guess, in that, in that sense. Um, and it's exhausting. But I also think sometimes we start businesses with our face or personal brand because of like, the ego boost that it gives us. Cause it's like, Oh, we're the hotshot. We're the star. And I think a lot of people could probably resonate with that too. Um, and I, I can just speak for me and Evie, like we did that and like we grew. And I, I think just getting into business, that was the only way at the very beginning that we knew how to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked. And so we did that. And then as we grew, we were like, Oh wait, this is exhausting. Like mm-hmm. we're craving like, or like, as we grew, we were like, Oh, we are 
we are craving different ways to make money because it, when it requires you to get out of bed and physically like make a reel, which there's nothing about, we love reels, but like, that's obviously one example (laughs) of just showing how exhausting it is. Um, I just love your perspective on that. And going back to kind of what you said at the beginning of the episode that just blew my mind of just like how many different streams of passive income there are. And it just, I think widens the the door or the window of people's vision of like what they assumed business was or could be. Like there's like a huge world of business out there that I think people only like see the like little like glimmer maybe on social media yeah. of like one type. So I just love just that you're opening the window for for different, I don't know, people to be like, whoa, there is like so yeah. much that I can do. Because I also think something that me and Evie get because we are so extroverted and we genuinely love being the face. I mean, you know, exhaustion aside, we genuinely love what we do, at least mm-hmm. in, in like the heart and our own businesses where we are the face. But not everybody is like that. There's a lot of people right. I think that, that listen to this podcast and follow us that are like, I don't, it is exhausting for me. I don't want to do that. And yeah. I think- they can get into the lie of thinking like, well, I can't be a business owner or an entrepreneur at all because I am not extroverted like Lindsay and Evie, or I don't like to dance on reels like Lindsay and Evie. Right. And I just thank you, Zim, for showing up here and giving people a different picture. Um, oh, yeah. Because I, it's just so needed. It's so needed. Okay, I just yeah. blabbed. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all it's all good. You know, and I, and I think that a common misconception is like, you know, when you're thinking about a business that doesn't necessarily have your own kind of face and personal brand, like how can you stand out from the competition? What does your voice look like? Mm. But you think a lot of businesses these days are actually personified, believe it or not, right? Yeah. You look at, you think about a business and you're like, that business is actually, like if that business was a person, what kind of person would it be? And you could say, oh, yeah. it'd be this person. There was an image on Twitter that was circling around like a while ago and it was an image of like four, I think four celebrities and they all had like very different styles. Like one was like in jeans and like a ripped, ripped like button up shirt or something. And somebody was like, this is TikTok or like something like that. Or like there was somebody that was, uh, that had a full, a full suit on and somebody said, this is LinkedIn. And so they went through each social network and they personified those things. It's the same thing with business. If you think about, Glossier, for example, you don't need to see, I don't even remember the founder, Emily, I think that's her name, the founder of Glossier. You don't need to see her all the time to know that Glossier has its own kind of personality. Brands work really hard to make sure that their business has a personality, especially if there is not a face driving the particular brand, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's huge, Zim, mentioning that because, you know, we talked about like, you don't have to have your face required, cancel cultures, you know, all of that, which is so good. But you do, in our opinion, which actually I would love to hear your thoughts on if you're like, agree or disagree. Um, you, you have to have something for people to buy into, whether it's like a brand mission or, you know, an incredible product that is different than, you know, something else out there that is unique in and of itself. Or like you were mentioning, like, is there is a, a personality or, you know, a personification to a brand without even having necessarily a specific face attached to it. Like people love connection. They love having a a reason to go back to the same brand over and over to share it with their friends. And having, you know, a, a personality and a face attached to it is one 
big way, but it is not the only way. Right. But if you are eliminating the, you know, the personal face aspect of it, which is an amazing option, in my opinion, you have to make sure you are, like you said, brands put so much time and energy into creating like a personality for their brand, like having that connection piece for people to still buy into. Would you agree with that, Zim? Yeah, I think so. Because when you don't, when you're not using your face, your personal brand for something, all you have is your product. All you uh-huh. have is your customer experience. All you have it are those things, these more intangibles than tangibles. I mean, your product is tangible, but you rely, you have to rely on those other things um, to stand out than a person that everyone likes. You know, totally. like there are people that will that will buy whatever. Um, I don't know any celebrity that is people really love. They'll buy whatever they are into because of that particular person, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's actually easier to launch something with your personal brand because yeah. if everybody loves you, then they're gonna love the. Th- they just buy the thing that you're getting into now because your face is on it. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's that's harder for marketing. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's harder to go the other way, but in my opinion, it's 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 rewarding because mm-hmm. you don't you can sit back and say, you know, it is actually the product that people love and not yeah. just me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had a question, kind of going back to your jar situation of like, I, I think especially when we're talking about products. Obviously, yes. Like, if you don't have a face attached to it, what is going to make somebody buy something? You could be brand mission, yes, or like the personal connection of of how the brand itself or the company itself is personifying something. But I also think, especially when it comes to products that like don't necessarily uh, like feel good, or I don't. I'm thinking of like dish soap or like jars, right? Like, how do you? I guess my question is like, how did you stand out when you were literally just like? reselling jars on Amazon. Yeah. I, I feel like you're less focused on like feeling. I mean, maybe because you're not, you're not marketing on Instagram, right? Like that's like a much more right. like streamlined business on Amazon. So it's like you stand out in different ways, whether it's price or whether right. it's like quality or reviews, I guess. Could you talk to that of like, yeah. what, how do you stand out when it, you're not relying solely on like personality or feeling or even brand mission? Right. So we all know that we buy things for different reasons, right? Like Uh some things we buy because we love the mission. Some things we buy just because we need it. And then some things we buy at a certain price because the price is cheaper. There are price shoppers everywhere, right? And so you have a couple of different tenants. For the jar business, people bought on price. They bought on... um, reviews, right? Like if you had good reviews, if you didn't have tons of product breaking in the mail, like people would look at some of those things. But also the third thing was the convenience. We Mm -hmm. were on Prime, right? So there were people that were selling jars that weren't on Prime. So you have all of these different types of sellers. So it's not about, you know, in this instance, the brand mission, it's not about any of those things. It's about price, convenience, and, you know, I don't even think they looked at our reviews like that. Convenience was probably the biggest factor. It's why yeah. Amazon Prime, like their cancellation rate is like very, 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 very slim. I don't even, when I get rebuilt for Amazon Prime, I don't even care. I'm like, <laughs> take my money. Like, it doesn't even matter. Worth I every Amazon penny. all the time. Exactly. And so 
if I want you to think about the last time you bought something online, did you look at the mission? Did you look at the founder? Like, just think about it. Think about the last thing that you bought online. Did you care about who the founder was? Did you care about why they started the company? Did you go through their feed in order to understand who they were as a person? I actually want you to answer this. This is so good. I have an answer. I have an answer for for it. I literally just hosted uh, my sister-in-law and it has to do with Amazon. It's great. Um, I I hosted my sister-in-law's baby shower last Saturday. And so about a week before I went to Amazon, I mean, I looked at her registry to like get stuff. And I literally just bought off our registry, but I, I was thinking of like, what's the most useful for motherhood? What have I personally used? Like I, I bought like the Hakka, uh, what is that called? The, like the, I can't, and whatever. Everyone that's listening, that's the mom will know. It's like a, it's like a manual, but whatever. Okay. You get it. I bought like a, a waterproof crib mattress cover. Like mm. I don't give a rat's, you know what, who, who created that. But I also will say, Zim, I've never bought anything off of Amazon unless it was something that I absolutely had to have and I couldn't get it anywhere else. I've never bought anything that wasn't prime, like, like convenience mm. over everything. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was my answer of what the, was the last thing okay. I bought. I bought Abby, like what about you? I, well, I, I feel like this is very ironic, but the last thing I bought was from a brand that I really cared about, the founder and the brand mission. <laughs> but, but I will also say that's not, I don't feel like that would normally be my, like normally it's also something like, oh, I bought something off of Prime, but it was uh, a hair care product from a hair brand, Day Hair, that I actually really love. And I wanted to try out one of their new products. And I, I really cared about like I love the brand mission. I love the founder. I love the vibes, the aesthetics, the feeling that the brand gives. But I don't think that that's like a daily thing that every time you ask me that question, it'll be that answer. Like I don't, I love ha- loving the founder. I love, you know, seeing the brand mission. I, I personally really enjoy that. But I also, that is not my only deciding factor when I purchase something. And this isn't, you know, this isn't a knock on like, you know, Amazon and Amazon doesn't even need to be the answer. But one of the things that I had challenged folks to think about was even if you're not buying on Amazon, like Amazon aside, if you are thinking about something that you purchased online, and obviously there are different types of shoppers. There are shoppers that will only buy if they know like what's behind the company and where they're like, where the products are sourced. There are those types of folks that buy online. I know many of them. There are others that are like, oh, this is cute. I'm going to buy it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's like Uh all these different types of uh, shoppers. And it's the same thing with, um, you know, with, with starting a business and thinking about these streams of revenue and understanding how people buy. It's not always personality driven. Sometimes people just buy because they like the product and it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah right? It just works. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to buy this hair product because I've been using it for five years. And if I change, I will have a very bad hair day. I'm just going (laughs) to buy it because it works. Right. And so you have different types of, of, um, of buyers and, and so they, they show up in different scenarios, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that you just said that. Cause I think a lot of people are only focusing especially just like in the Instagram world and in the service-based industry. I know a lot of our listeners are photographers. And in that realm, yes, like personality, like if you're the fate, like that does matter. But I love that you're presenting just like a different um, 
a different side of the coin, which is like, hey, focus on convenience, which I think that still applies to service-based. Like how easy mm-hmm. is it for someone to book you or to understand what you do? Like that applies across the board. But I just, Zim, thank you for being here. Thank you for just like giving just a dump truck of information and just like opening the door to so many avenues of business and passive income. Um, just I think our listeners are just so stoked uh, to be listening to this. And guys, if you loved this episode and you're like, whoa, this girl knows horror crap, uh, then <laughs> come to the freaking heart conference. It's in a few weeks. We are so excited. Yes. Um, and Zim will be breaking down literally so much more than what she just shared here. Because if I know on on our main stage, uh, you're going to be talking about just kind of like what we've been literally talking about of like how to create passive income without your face attached to it. And then your breakout is going to be uh, how to buy businesses that already exist, correct? Yes. I am so excited. I literally, I'm so mad, Zim, (laughs) that me and Evie, we're doing our breakouts. Like me, you, and Evie are grouped in like a breakout group. So we're doing our breakouts at the same time. And I literally told Rachel, or I was like, Rachel, I would cough my left foot. No, oh I'm just I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but just like, I'm being dramatic, but like, I, yes. I want to like hear your breakout so bad. We, we like, literally, ah. we literally considered switching things around so we could go to your breakout. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so but that just proves we're very excited. Anyways. Yes, I'm yeah. excited too. My last question for you is what is the biggest lesson that you've learned in business? I know that's kind of like an overarching uh, big <sighs> the question, biggest but. lesson I've learned in business. Gosh, there are so many um <laughs> so many. I think that a lot of times we get really stuck on having to do everything right? Like we know the business best. So we feel like we have to physically do everything. And this is a lesson for me too. It's still a lesson for me. But when you hire really good people and you get out of the way, you'd be surprised at what happens, Mm -hmm. right? So I think, you know, a lot of times we just, we would say like, oh, if somebody doesn't do it right, I'm just going to do it myself. Or like, I know how to do this. It's going to take me five seconds. But what happens is whenever you do that, you have to think about your time in, think about your time as like a number, right? So let's say that I bring in X amount of dollars into my business. I've come up with some calculation that calculates my hourly rate. Let's say my hourly rate is like $1,000 an hour. That means that when I am thinking about returning uh, something back to Target, for example, I know that the Target return lines are very long. I'm probably going to go there. And because you can't just go to Target and buy one thing, I'll probably <laughs> buy a couple things. I'll probably like, you know, move around. And as soon as you know it, a thousand, I mean, one hour is gone, which is a thousand dollars. So not only have you spent a thousand dollars, of your hourly time, you have also spent more money buying the things in Target. And so it's kind of a twofold lesson. One is knowing knowing your hourly rate, so to speak, and allowing people and hiring people under that particular rate to do some of these other things. And then the other part of that is stepping back and letting people do good work. And so those Mm -hmm. are... those combined would be one of my biggest lessons in business. 
Mm. Oh, that's so good. Can we just that's like so put that on repeat at least <laughs> once a month for all of us <laughs> as entrepreneurs to listen to? Like Amen. That, that's good. Uh, Zim, thank you so much for being here and for dropping just knowledge and truth left and right on this episode. For the listeners who are not coming to the conference slash can't make it, which by the way, there's still time. You can still yes. come, but if that you truly cannot for whatever reason, where can people find you, connect with you, learn from you, all of that? Yes. So um, I am Zimism on Instagram, Z-I-M-I-S-M. Website is the same, Zimism.com. Um, if you're interested in Morning Assembly, which is where I teach entrepreneurs how to build and buy streams of income, um, that is MorningAssembly.com. So that's where you can find me. Uh, you it. are incredible. Thank you so much for being here, Zim. And we will see you at the conference. Yes. <laughs> Excited. <laughs> <laughs>